Welcome to the inaugural season of the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Mogg, co-lead of Stoll Reeves Agribusiness Food, Beverage, and Timber Industry Group. This season, we're interviewing respected industry leaders and discussing how they and their companies are embracing innovation and capitalizing on new opportunities to move their industries forward in an ever-changing world. Subscribe at Stoll.com, that's S-T-O-E-L.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. Uh, I'm Kirk Mogg this morning, sitting down with Phil Ward, the CEO of the Oregon FFA, better known as Future Farmers of America. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Kirk. Good to be here. So I uh, wanted to sit down and chat with you about some of our, sh- our shared experiences and, and affinity for the ag industry. I'm a fourth generation Oregonian, grew up on a farm in, in the dry desert of Malheur County. I think you're a fifth generation Oregonian. I am. Grew up here in the fertile Willamette Valley. What keeps you connected to, to Oregon and, and, and what do you love about the state? Interesting question, Kirk, because I've, over the course of my career, I've had the chance to leave the state several times. But I think probably a lot of that keeps me connected here is my wife. She's told me she'd be happy to correspond with me regularly if I took a job out of state. But uh, Oregon's just a great place. My family came over the Oregon Trail in the 1840s, and, and I get to live on a little piece of that home farm that was established back in the 1800s. And uh, it's just been a good place to live, to raise kids. So I'm really thankful that the jobs I've held over the years, even though I've not been a full-time farmer ever, the jobs I've held have enabled me to stay on that little piece of that farm and raise my family there. So beyond, beyond staying rooted in, in the home farm, your career has maintained a connection to agriculture throughout. What kept that connection for you? It is. You know, I started my career as a high school agriculture instructor. Loved that. I think it was the fav- my favorite job I ever held. But I moved from there. I think, I wish I could say, Kirk, that I, that I planned my career from the moment I stepped out of Oregon State University to today. I really didn't. But the opportunities that arose for me all seemed to relate to the agriculture and natural resource industry here in Oregon. And I guess that's uh, where my roots uh, were. So that's a natural thing. I moved into into, uh, state government in the Department of Agriculture, had an opportunity to work in that agency for a number of years, water resources. So I got a chance to look at the state's natural resource industries from that perspective. I led the water resources department in Oregon for more than a decade. I worked with USDA here in Oregon for a number of years and and in the private industry related to agriculture, the Oregon Farm Bureau. So all those jobs had a very direct tie to the agriculture and natural resource industries in our state. And uh, I think that's just where I fit naturally. So now you're back connected to agriculture education, kind of came full circle to your start as an, a high school agriculture educator. What brought you back to Oregon FFA, an organization in the state that serves over 11,000 student members spread out in 100 plus schools in all corners of the state? Yeah, what a great organization, isn't it? Uh, you and I both have uh, have a little background in that organization. But I think the thing that brought me back to it was uh, 
was the encouragement of some people that I respected. You know a couple of those that uh, asked me to consider uh, coming back and being a part of the Oregon FFA uh, organization. I was minding my business. I'd retired. Uh, I'd retired from federal service, and was teaching a couple classes for the College of Agriculture at Oregon State. Uh, and then this opportunity to join FFA as the CEO arose, and it just was intriguing to me the opportunity to re-engage in an organization that had uh, really had a big impact on my life personally and give back at this stage of my career. I just got really excited about. So Oregon FFA, what's its importance to the future of Oregon's agriculture, timber, and natural resource industries? Gosh, Kirk, I, that's a great question. And one I think, that's one I think that uh, the agriculture industry in Oregon ought to be talking about. What is the impact of this little organization? Not so little, but what's the impact of this organization of high school students uh, how does it impact the future of our industry? And uh, I think that the FFA here in Oregon and around the country, frankly, profoundly impacts the future of agriculture in this state and country. And uh, I think that for a couple reasons. And maybe those reasons may be different than they were 30 years ago when, when uh, I was teaching. But the opportunity for high school students in Oregon to learn the things that they learn in a high school agriculture program and as FFA members, I think has a, has a profound effect on who they become as professionals the rest of their lives, whether they work directly in the ag industry or not. When I, when I, was, uh, when I was employing a lot of people, Kirk, in these uh, different agencies I worked in over the years, I always was able to find folks that had good technical skills. So when I was hiring technicians, animal health technicians, uh, scientists, plant pathology scientists, when I was hiring water resource engineers, I could always find folks that had really strong skill levels in their technical disciplines. They were good at the technical parts of their job. What I struggled finding was folks that had those technical skills, but also had the ability to communicate effectively and to lead teams of people effectively. And to me, that's what high school agriculture programs do for young people so well. They give them a solid technical foundation and they marry that up with leadership training, how to run a meeting, how to speak in front of groups, how to lead teams of people. And to me, that's what makes high school agriculture and FFA programs so powerful. And it was my experience that when I was able to hire young people with an FFA background, they always did better for me in those areas than people without. You know, I think a lot of people, when they think of FFA, they think about rural high schools, rural ag programs. FFA today, um, it's a little bit different than that, right? Well, it is. And, and certainly um, the tie between FFA and rural Oregon is really significant. But we have a number of really successful ag programs in more urban areas. And whether it's an urban or rural school, we have a tremendous number of our students that don't come from full-time working farms. In fact, I'd say probably the majority of our students today do not come from full-time working farm families. Uh, 
They may be small acreage folks. They may be young people that live in town but have an interest in veterinary science or horticulture. And so what what these programs do is it draws folks in that may never farm full-time, most likely won't. But it gives them a background and an appreciation for the agriculture industry that they're going to carry throughout the rest of their lives. We hear a lot about the urban-rural divide and, and the deepening urban-rural divide. Does FFA have a role to play in helping to address that, that issue? I certainly think it does. Uh, and, and the urban-rural divide is perhaps more pronounced here in Oregon than in many other parts of the country. We've got the rural parts of our state that are dominated by our natural resource industries and then the urban parts of the state that that certainly are impacted by those industries. But on a day to day basis, we don't see as much contact. And so what FFA can do and what I see it doing is giving young people that don't have uh, in many cases that daily contact with agriculture, forestry, other natural resource industries, and it's giving them an appreciation for and under and an understanding of those industries. And it's also training young people to be able to move into those industries in those support roles, in the food processing role, in the in the farm mechanics in the role, in the supplier, fertilizer supplier role, in those roles. And uh, it's bringing a workforce into our industry that otherwise would not have been there. My experience has been that farm and ranch families, they're not encouraging their kids to go out and be lawyers and lobbyists. Those are two dirty words uh, in, in, in the natural resource and ag industries. But from my perspective, it's incredibly important that we have people with ag and natural resource backgrounds engaging in policy, engaging in politics. You spent years in in Salem um, and and had a front seat view to what was going on in the state capitol. Why, or from, from your perspective, tell us why it was important for people from ag communities, ag backgrounds to engage in the political process. Yes. Well, especially since there, there are fewer and fewer people, again, coming directly out of those industries into the political realm. So we see fewer farmers, for example, as members of the state legislature uh, in other roles like that. It's extremely important that we have folks that are conversant with our industries that can interface in an authentic manner with the people that are making policy, whether that's a state legislator or or the people that are implementing policy, like key folks administering programs in state agencies. And so if we don't have people in those roles that know what makes our industries work and how to make them work effectively in a partnership role with their with with government entities then the then the industry's going to lose frankly we have to be willing to give some of our young people into those jobs i think a lot of folks in the ag industry in particular when they think about government agencies they think enforcement they think regulation they think intrusion into their business you've led state agencies who had as part of their mission working with collaborating with industry Uh, how did you foster within the 
the agencies that you led, a culture of collaboration that allowed you to develop trust with the industries that you worked with? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's an important question for folks who lead those agencies to be asking themselves, how do we lead in a collaborative fashion and partner with the folks that we're regulating? Now, obviously, regulatory authority is there for a reason, and you have to have regulators that are able to regulate and willing when it's necessary. But what I always found was that you could get a lot more compliance toward the goals you were trying to reach if you worked together with the industry to get there. So I have never found a farmer that doesn't want there to be water in a stream for fish. They like fish. They like their grandkids being able to go down there to the creek and catch them. And and so the, the question is, how do we balance the needs in their community so they can get the water they need to grow that crop and we can keep enough of it in the stream to keep those natural resource values there in, in the way they should be. And, and so we need people in our government agencies that don't just see their role as turning people off or shutting them on, but working together with those stewards of the land that are out on the ground themselves to reach those goals in a collaborative fashion. You've led the Oregon Department of Agriculture, Oregon Water Resources Department's Department, Oregon's Farm Service Agency. How how have your roots in agriculture contributed to your success over the course of your career? Hmm. Well, I hope I hope to think that uh, that anybody that grows up on a farm, I know this for a fact, learns how to work. So certainly, I think uh, uh, I was able to bring a, a bit of that good old fashioned work ethic to my jobs. But more importantly than that, I think my roots in agriculture gave me an appreciation for the things that built this state uh, in terms of its economic base, its environmental base, its overall character. And that having that perspective of how the state can work when all those areas are functioning effectively together, the environment, the, uh, the industry side, the, the, the food production side, when those things are working together, then that's how we're going to be successful as a state. And, and I just think having a background in agriculture gave me the kind of perspective that enabled me to implement the policies that worked for both people and the natural resource. What makes you optimistic about the future of agriculture? Boy, it's funny because there's always a lot of naysayers. You know, we've, uh, you and I have heard them our entire, our, our entire lives. You know, agriculture in Oregon is going to be a th- thing of the past. What makes me really optimistic about agriculture in this state and, and around the nation, but especially in this state, is that we've shown ourselves to have the ability to adapt to changing situations and bring on the new kind of uh, commodities, the new kind of, of uh, products that will enable agriculture to continue to be successful. And we're so different in Oregon than, than a lot of parts of the country. We aren't a big uh, commodity state, you know, the kind of traditional ag commodities that the government has supported for years. We're what, over 300 commercial ag commodities in this state? And we grow things that go directly from the farm to the marketplace. And so our farmers, I think, are attuned to how that whole system works, maybe much more so than other parts of the country. So for, in Oregon, I'm really encouraged 
that uh, because of the type of agriculture we have, that we're going to meet those challenges and grow in the years ahead. The other piece I'd, I'd just add to that, Kirk, is that is that we have had a commitment in this state to agricultural education at you know the, the secondary level, at the university level, and we've got some good programs in place that are giving people the kind of training they need. So you talk about investments beyond the, the high school level. Uh, you've taught some classes at, at Oregon State University. Uh, t- tell us about your experience helping promote or train the next generation of, of ag leaders at Oregon State University. You know, the, the College of Agriculture has done something there that I really uh, admire and support, and that they've developed a leadership minor in the College of Agriculture. So you can go to OSU, you can get a degree in crop science with a minor in leadership. Now, why is that important and why should we care about that? Well, I think for the very reasons that we talked about a little earlier, uh, that when you have people that have a sound technical background and when you marry that up with leadership skills then you you create a much more you give students an opportunity to do so much more than if they were just one or the other and this this marriage of technical competence and leadership training gives people the kind of skills they need to succeed in the modern world i think in your role leading the Oregon Water Resources Department for over a decade, you saw tension. You saw uh, challenges in in balancing management of our water resources. Um, in the last few years, and and even more pronounced this year, we're really seeing the effects of changes in snowpack and how that affects water supply in our state. What's what's the future of water look like to you in Oregon? You know, it's interesting because part of our, our identity as a state is uh, we think of ourselves as a water-rich state in Oregon, right? And certainly we are in, at certain times of the year. But unlike perhaps the Midwest, here in Oregon or on the West Coast generally, uh, we get our precipitation in the winter months, early spring months, and then we have the dry summer months where you have to um, be able to utilize water from our streams, lakes, and storage to grow the crops, to keep our cities functioning, et cetera. So, so water in Oregon, is it's more of a challenge than people think. And certainly finding a way to make sure that we meet all the needs for water resources in the state of Oregon in the years ahead, I think is going to be a pretty significant challenge in the next 30 to 50 years. You spent a stint early in your career at Oregon Farm Bureau. Tell us about the importance of trade associations to the ag and natural resource industries. I'm an extremely big believer in uh, trade associations and folks in the industries being active members and participants in those trade associations. Uh, and I do, and I'm, I'm a believer because I've seen it work. Uh, When you see organizations like the Oregon Farm Bureau, the Oregon Association of Nurseries, the Oregon Dairy Farmers Association, when you see folks like that active in the capital representing the views of farmers and ranchers, you come to realize how important those voices are in the policy discussions that are happening in Salem. And uh, without it, Without folks engaging in those associations, I think uh, we lose tremendous opportunity. So 
turning back to some of your work with with Oregon FFA, what are what are some of the skills that you think we need to be instilling in our next generation of leaders within the ag industry? Absolutely. Um, I really think, Kirk, that that future leaders in Oregon agriculture need to have the ability not just to do the work on the farm or do the work in the ag business they're part of, but also to engage in the broader community and articulate the needs and the values of Oregon's uh, agriculture industry. And I just think that's an extremely critical component of what uh, young leaders in agriculture need to be doing today. Oregon FFA has been really fortunate to have great support from from private industry. Investments being made in youth, in the future of our industries. When you talk to the folks that are investing in supporting Oregon FFA, what what are the reasons that they tell you that they're doing that? Yeah, uh, it's funny because uh, Oregon FFA does, as, as you've just mentioned, have some great supporters around the state, people that put their money where their mouth is. They don't just articulate support for the organization, but they uh, provide dollars to help move the work of this organization forward. And invariably, people are so impressed by the ability of folks who have gone through a high school, a high school agriculture program, develop those leadership skills, how to run a meeting, how to communicate effectively, how to speak in public. They're so uh, impressed with the ability of kids coming out of these programs that they just want to be a part of making that happen. One of the buzzwords these days is career and technical education. And FFA has been doing career and technical education before we were talking about career and technical education. It, it really is a model for helping train students in a way that's hands-on, in a way that's engaging, and it makes them career-ready. Why, why has FFA been successful in this area? Yeah. You know, the, uh, the old FFA motto is learning by doing, right? And the ability to give young people the opportunity to actually do things, not just sit in a classroom and hear a lecture, but step out into that shop, step out onto that land laboratory and do the things that they're, that they're hearing about. That ability to offer that kind of education, that kind of instruction to young people, in my view, is extremely powerful. And a high school agriculture programs way back when they started years and years ago uh, figured out how to make that happen. And they used that model of classroom plus laboratory shop plus requiring every student to have an out away from school kind of project where they put into place the things they were learning. And to me, that model, that three-faceted model, is extremely as an extremely powerful education model. And I don't know of any other area that has done it as well as high school agriculture. When we talk about FFA, we often talk about the hands-on learning component. You mentioned to me your trip recently to the, the Lebanon Land Lab. You took a trek out to visit. T tell us about the, the Lebanon FFA Land Lab. Gosh, I just had a great visit actually earlier this week. 
to the Lebanon FFA chapter and the land laboratory that that program's had in place for probably 50 years now. And years ago, the school had donated to it uh, a tract of land that they have kept in place for the for the agriculture program at that high school. And, and they've put on that tract of land uh, facilities for raising livestock, facilities, uh, greenhouse facilities for growing plants, uh, different crops. They've got some timber land there. And what they do with that is that they have students out there every day of the week in the school year learning, practicing what they are learning in the classroom. And it just was really exciting for me to see uh, a couple of good high school agriculture instructors instructors that had a real vision for helping students learn how to actually do what they've been talking to them about. Yeah, I I also had the opportunity to go down and visit the land lab, and it was great to see the hands-on learning opportunity, but also the, the investment that was made by the initial donor in investing in that program, but also investments made by, for example, Wilco through a grant to the chapter to update its facilities to provide enhanced learning opportunities to students. Just one more example of an investment by private industry back into the future of the ag industry. Absolutely. And and to me, I really credit those companies that have that kind of vision and the kind of uh, let's do what's good for the order uh, let's do what's good for the industry by putting money back into these programs. I really respect that, and I respect Wilco for having that kind of vision as a company. So when you look ahead, what what are the biggest challenges you see facing the next generation of leaders in Oregon agriculture? Well, I think there's a there are a tremendous number of challenges ahead for the industry uh, and for the leaders that the industry chooses to represent it. Uh, certainly, um, the continuing challenge of being a natural resource-based industry in an increasingly urban state is one that's very real. And learning how to balance all those resource needs, uh, the environmental needs, the industry needs, balancing those things so that we can effectively produce food and fiber in this state is is a big challenge and we need to have folks that are equipped with the communication and leadership skills in the industry to help make that happen every time i interact with the students wearing the blue and gold ffa jackets i leave thinking wow uh, the future of our industry is bright yes kirk i think that's really true and uh, it, it just that comment just made me think back to a to a high school superintendent or to a school district superintendent that I worked for years ago. And he took me aside once after a school board meeting and he said, Ward, I hate it when you bring those kids wearing their blue jackets to the school board meetings. Because every time you do, you get everything you want and more besides. The Oregon, the FFA helps young people develop the kind of skills that I have never seen any other program help kids develop. And it's a tremendous thing to be able to, for me, to be a part of an organization that does that for young people. Phil, thanks so much for taking time today to join us in talking about Oregon's ag industry. Really appreciated hearing about your 
deep roots in Oregon agriculture and the work that you're doing to ensure a bright future for Oregon's agriculture industry. Great to be with you today, Kirk. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Stoll Reeves Deeply Rooted Podcast. To follow along and get additional insights from each episode, visit stoll.com. That's S-T-O-E-L.com. Please also take a moment to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is not legal advice, and the podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship.